Very good morning to you. Great to see you. My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. Together we serve this amazing community, this amazing church, the South West London Vineyard. I wanted to have a, a think about some of these stories from uh, the scriptures to see what, if anything, you think they might have in common. Don't worry, it's not a test. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list, uh, but let's start maybe in the Old Testament with Enoch. Uh, or um, what, about, what about the Exodus? Uh, Israel coming up out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. Uh, or uh, maybe the story of Deborah or Jonah. Uh, there's even more in the New Testament. Uh, there's the, think of uh, the wedding at Cana or Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the woman at the well. What about the disciple Peter or the Apostle Paul or even Jesus himself? Any ideas? Things that might connect them? I know you, um, you'll all think the answer is squirrel, but that it would probably be safer to say Jesus. Um, all of these, all of these and many, 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 many more, all experienced some kind of transformation. Some kind of transformation. Enoch was translated. Uh, Israel was set free. Deborah becomes this incredibly mighty woman of God. Jonah goes from this reluctant prophet to obedient servant. Saul goes from persecuting Christians to Paul planting churches. And Jesus uh, dies on a Roman cross on Good Friday. And then three days later, he is raised from the dead, our glorious resurrected Savior. And it goes on. It goes on and on and on. Example after example of how in and through the outworking of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so many ordinary people, everyday people, just like you and me, utterly transformed and totally changed. And this theme of transformation is like a, a golden thread that weaves its way across literally every single page of the Scriptures from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God is a God who transforms everything and everyone He encounters. And in just the same way as this has been true for the great heroes of the faith throughout the ages, uh, so too this is true for each and every one of us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in our lives to bring about transformation, to bring about change. Now, if you've been here over the past few weeks, we've been doing, uh, you'll know we've been doing a series uh, called Vineyard DNA, which is essentially us looking at some of the things that we hold dear to here in this kind of family of churches called the Vineyard. And uh, this morning, again, using a phrase coined by John Wimber, uh, who was the chap that God used to start this family of churches called the Vineyard, uh, we're going to be looking at this theme of transformation, or what Wimber described as, come as you are, don't stay as you are. Come as you are, 
don't stay as you are. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17, and a, a text you'll have heard us say over and over and over and over again. And the reason we say it over and over again is basically because Paul puts and describes so well this idea of the work of the Spirit of God being the work of transformation and the work of change. It says this in verse 17, Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled face, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, or another version has it as reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I mean, that's just enough right there. But alongside that, we are being transformed. Into what? We are being transformed into his image. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus. To become like him, to live like him, to love like him, and to do the things that Jesus did. Now, um, change or transformation is, is something that just many of us desperately long for and yearn for. It's a fundamental part of our journey through life. You know, you look at life with its constant flux. Life demands change and transformation. John Mumford, who used to be here uh, until he was no longer here, I think he too, like Enoch, was translated. Um, John Mumford would often say, change is here to stay. And, you know, especially in the wake of these past few years, change, change has become the new norm. We're constantly adapting and changing and flexing and pivoting and doing all kinds of things. But our spiritual lives call for far more than just slight changes and tweaks to our diaries and to-do lists, to our diets and our daily routines. The reality is, uh, it's our lives that are in need of utter transformation. Now, before we go too much further, the transformation that we're talking about this morning isn't about trying harder. Okay, this is really important. This isn't about trying harder or simply about having a, a better life or better qualifications or better prospects or better whatever it may be. The change that we need, the change we're talking about, isn't simply about being a better person. You know, that would be a serious misrepresentation of how the Bible talks about change and transformation. And even in the church, you know, we can so easily talk about the need for change and transformation in our lives uh, in a way that ends up being understood as some kind of low-level therapeutic moralistic deism you know, where some kind of remote and faraway God makes our lives somewhat better and makes us someone better. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is not about making people good or moral or religious. If you cast, down my, cast your mind back to the series that we did, Living Out Loud, you'll, you'll recall the frequent run-ins that Jesus had with the good and moral and religious people of his day. God is not after some kind of external morality. God is after a people who are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, not just at a behavioral level, 
but a, a deep, profound, fundamental, foundational, spiritual level. You see, transformation that the Bible talks about isn't, it's not like some kind of New Year's resolution. The transformation and the change we see in the scriptures, it comes from recreation. It comes from new birth, new life, the recreation that comes from new life in Christ Jesus. And truth be told, I think if, uh, you know, most of us would think that if there's any change that needs to take place in our lives, we might say it needs to be in our circumstances. You know, it might, we might say it needs to be in our situation. You know, the kind of thing that we might say, you know, if only I had a bit more money, or, you know, then I'd, then I'd be happier, you know, or then I'd be more generous, or then I'd be kinder, or whatever it might be, you know, you fill in the blanks. Or we say things like, you know, if only I had a different job, or if I had better health, or if I had nicer friends, or whatever it may be. Whatever it is, often we're so utterly convinced that if only our circumstances were different, then we would be different. Well, here is a harsh reality of life. Uh, it is not a change in our circumstances that we need. Um, it is a change in ourselves. We all need change and transformation at the very deepest core of our being. What we need is gospel change. We need to come as we are, warts and all, and it really doesn't matter where we've come from, it doesn't matter what we've done, it doesn't matter what's been done to us. You know, over the past 36 years or so of this church, countless men and women have walked through those doors or doors just like them, and pretty much every single one of us, each and every one of us, arrived in this place uh, in a mess. Broken, wounded, desperate people longing and hoping to find something, to find someone who might change our hearts and minds. And, you know, just as an aside, if that's you uh, this morning, if you're here for the first time or you're here for the umpteenth time uh, and you're in that place of desperately longing for change and transformation, in your life. Uh, first of all, you are very, very welcome. And secondly, you are in very good company. If you were to just take a moment, if we were to have another break and just you were to spin around and ask some of the people around you, you know, most of whom, I mean, not all, but most of whom look like they're pretty together and pretty sorted and things have got their ducks in a row. But if you were to ask them whether it's always been like that for them, I guarantee that they'd all have some interesting stories to tell of how it was that once they encountered Jesus, once they encountered the person of Jesus, their lives started to truly change. The reality is this church is full of people who came, as I say, through those doors just as they were. We came just as we were, but by the grace of God, we haven't stayed where we were. And how did that change? How did that transformation come about? Well, you'd need to ask them. But one thing I can tell you is that it didn't come about simply because they tried harder. In fact, there was no trying involved. Transformation takes place in our lives, not because we do, but because Jesus Christ has already done. So, that was the introduction. I'm just going to just kind of 
going to give the pizza man enough time to arrive um, so we could be here for a while. So how, how does transformation come about? Let's have a look at how transformation comes about. First of all, um, real change, real transformation, it starts with new life, not just sort of a new leaf. Uh, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. The very heart of the Christian faith revolves around change, but it's not about turning over a new leaf. It's, it's about having a completely new life. Uh, Christian transformation always involves something old passing away and something new taking place. And this profound and life-changing spiritual change is needed by every single one of us. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor, whether we're famous or anonymous or successful or a complete and utter failure, we are all constantly in need of this change, no matter who we are. But for some reason, like so much of our approach to the simple gospel, we somehow find a way to make all of this so much more complicated than it really needs to be. And so we, um, we reimagine that the gospel is to be about somehow earning God's affection. And so we say things like, well, God can't love me the way that I am. You know, I mean, I certainly don't. So if I don't love myself, God certainly won't. Um, but if I change, then maybe God would like me a bit more. This couldn't be further from the truth. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any more than he does right now. Or we seek to change through obedience. You know, as if sort of by doing more, you know, I don't even really know what more of what might be, but you know, Christians often will be like, you know, more prayer or more Bible study or more fasting or more, just more, you know. Um, or we often say less. You know, so it's more prayer, more Bible study, more fasting, but, and, and less sin. You know, less, less addiction, less anger, I don't know. We think that if we do more of one and less of the other, then God will love us. Then God will bless us. Uh, the late Tim Keller uh, put it this way. He said, religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Christianity says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. God's uh, profound love for us, God's acceptance of who we are, God's work of transformation is impacted by one thing only, and that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is his work that causes us causes me to be accepted before God. It is his work that begins that process of transformation that I so desperately need. Everything else leads to exhaustion and exasperation and ultimately spectacular failure. Again, just turn around and ask the people around you and they'll tell you a nice long story of their experience of that. Trying to turn over a new leaf is nothing more than a temporary fix to an eternal problem. And it leads to the frustrating and exasperating cycle of always looking for a new fix for our lives. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see this whole way of thinking beautifully illustrated by, uh, in the life of Solomon. Uh, Solomon was someone who tried to change himself through sort of ingenuity um, when all he really needed was like divine intervention. And Solomon was, was like the smartest person ever. He says this, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes on a Sunday morning. 
like the whole council of scripture. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one says this in verse 12, I, Solomon, the teacher, was king over all Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who's ruled Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. I mean, definitely a cheerful chappy. Uh, but basically, he, he's distraught about the fact, the discovery, that even with all of his knowledge and his wealth and his wisdom and his power, he can't bring about the change and transformation in his life that he longs for. You know, uh, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Uh, Solomon's own words just highlight the folly of hoping to change our own lives. You know, with access to wisdom, finances, military power, everything that anyone could possibly hope for in life, Solomon found life to be no more than a chasing of the wind. What he needed was an outside force to make him someone new, rather than just continuing after something old. We really do need to give up on trying to change our own lives. And rather than wasting our lives on trying to change ourselves, we should just give ourselves over instead to God's work to grant us a new life. Because the truth is, we, we can't even begin to imagine, even in our wildest dreams, all that he has for us, the radical new life that he has for us. There's a story in John chapter 3 where Jesus is approached by someone who's in serious need of a uh, change. Uh, Nicodemus was someone, you know, he had the right pedigree, uh, he had the right spiritual training, he had the right status in society. He really just wasn't very nice. And uh, he was most likely very moral and definitely very religious. And Jesus tells him that he needs to be born again. Nicodemus didn't need more rules. He didn't need to follow the rules better. The only thing that Nicodemus needed was a whole new life. <laughs> Much easier. Nicodemus, just like many of us, had to unlearn everything that he'd been taught. And that was the idea that rules and regulations bring about lasting spiritual change. But they don't. You know, of course, the rules and the regulations can like, modify our behavior, but it's only the gospel of Jesus that can bring us the new life that we need, the new birth. And truth be told, whether we've never encountered Jesus before, whether we've recently encountered Jesus, or whether we've known Jesus like almost all of our lives, none of us should ever be satisfied with merely just another way of doing life. Only a totally new life will suffice. Okay, there's a second thing. Uh, real change is a process, not a destination. Um, I hate to break it to you again, but none of us ever gets to a place of being everything that God has called us to be this side of eternity. 
I think that's partly why we yearn for eternity. Our, our lives are lives of constant growth and change and transformation. The transformation that we encounter because of the gospel is, is how God is shaping our lives to mirror and reflect the person of Jesus. Uh, Paul wrote to some of the early ch uh, Christians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said this, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God is, is starting and completing his work of transformation in us. And, and real change, you know, real change happens. It, it absolutely happens at that moment of salvation, that moment when we fall at the foot of the cross. We surrender our lives and we surrender our hopes and our dreams and our thoughts and our agendas and our relationships and our time and our energy and our money, all of it. We just surrender it all gladly and willingly at the foot of the cross, devoted to him, irrevocably given over to him. He's given us all of himself, even his very life. And so how could we possibly give him anything in return that was anything less than all of ourselves? And so, yes, transformation happens in that moment when we come to Jesus and our eternal future is secured. But we are also daily being changed. We are daily being transformed to be like Christ in the way that we live. Day by day, God wants us to grow in our knowledge and our connection and our relationship with him. Paul, uh, Peter writes this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's just, that's just some mind-blowing stuff right there, if you can kind of get your head around it so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. We get to participate in the divine nature. We just like, you know, let that soak in for a minute. He is the giving, sending, sacrificing God who desires to root out all of my kind of sinful nature and replace it with his own wonderful character. And by removing, removing the human desire for significance and replacing it with the divine nature of sacrifice, God sets our whole lives on this whole new wonderful trajectory. It's a new process that we partake in that causes our lives to have true significance. Our lives become about, become about being reflecting God's glory and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. Uh, like Moses, you know, that's a reference to Moses who would kind of veil and cover his face after he'd been in God's presence. Uh, but like Moses, the only way to reflect God's glory is to catch a glimpse of it. It's to be in it. We get a glimpse of God's glory. Moses spent his time in the presence of God and he, the presence of God would kind of radiate onto him so that when he came down from the mountain, he would just be reflecting, like glowing, kind of like, an, you know, a ready break chap. 
That's all we have to do. We just have to catch a glimpse of God's glory for that glory to shine on us and then that to be reflected to those around us. Wherever we set our eyes on God, you can guarantee whenever you catch a glimpse of God, his presence, his glory, his majesty, you can guarantee that you're in the process of transformation. As I said, when we come to Christ, in that moment, we are suddenly and incredibly and irrevocably changed. Uh, you know, and for that, we should be eternally grateful. But God has chosen to walk with us through our threescore year and ten, changing us with ever-increasing glory into the image of his precious son. And through the process of being changed to live like Jesus, what happens is the veil is slowly but surely removed. And the stuff of earth, the things that we look at, the things that we pay attention to, they just become less and less important. The things of earth become, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we fix our eyes on him. Instead, the process of God's transformation allows us just to reflect more and more and more of his glory. Transformation happens in a moment, yes, to secure our eternal hope, but it is also consistently happening moment by moment to change each one of us day by day. I'm really running out of time, but thirdly, uh, three, a change is letting go and grabbing hold. God doesn't force um, anyone to change. He invites us to change. He says, come as you are. And the invitation is, don't stay as you are. There's a better way of doing life. He'll say things like, be holy as I am holy. And we kind of go, huh? That's just like impossible. But its possibility comes because of the work of God and not the work of man. I can't be holy the way that God is holy. But God can make me holy in the way that God is holy. It's that quote from Archbishop William Temple from, that Kate talked about last week, you know? It's no use giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and asking me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. And it's no use giving me a life like the life of Jesus and expecting me to live like that, because Jesus could do it, but I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. Transformation that comes to us uh, spiritually empowers us to move from religious modified behavior to heart, total heart transformation. Uh, Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says this, uh, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're called to put off the old self and we are called to take on the new self. But we know far too well that letting go with the familiar is difficult, even when what we're being offered, the new, is something better. It's kind of like this strange Stockholm syndrome we have with ourselves and our habits and our routines. For some reason, it seems to be part of our psyche that we, wanna, we just naturally resist change, even when that's exactly what we are longing for. And these... Here, I'm going to give you a list. These might be some of the reasons that some of us find change difficult. We can find change difficult because we're stubborn. That's the first thing. 
uh, none of you, I, I'm stubborn. Uh, have you, have you ever tried to take like something out of like a two-year-old's hand? You know, you've got a, there's a two-year-old that you're caring for and they've somehow got hold of a fork and they're about to jam it into either their eye or probably their sibling's eye or somebody else's. And you're like, that's not a good idea. So you, you try to take this fork out of their hands. They can be tenacious little people. Uh, and obviously, you know, you need to be careful, but like um, two-year-olds are amazingly strong and nimble when they want to hold on to something. Uh, and, it, and it takes kind of like ninja-like, you know, reflexes to kind of um, prize this thing from their hand. And we are exactly the same. We are absolutely no different. We've got this laser-focused determination uh, sort of on what we hope to keep. It's mine. It's my precious. And some of us just need to realize that it's simply time for us to unclench our fist and allow Jesus to hold us and take us by the hand. Uh, sometimes we find change difficult because we're trapped. Uh, there's no reason why you would have done, but you may have heard uh, I came across this story. The story of how to trap a monkey. Uh, why you'd want to trap a monkey is beyond me, but just go with me. Uh, apparently, all you need uh, is, a, is a piece of fruit and a coconut, which all sounds like rather a lengthy process to go to, but you'll, you'll get the idea. Apparently, what you're supposed to do is drill a hole in the co coconut that is large enough to put the piece of fruit through, but no larger. No larger, you know, not larger for anything else. And, and apparently, what the monkey will do is it will reach inside the coconut to take hold of the fruit and then grab it, and then when it tries to pull its fist out, it it can't because the hole isn't big enough. And so it's effectively trapped itself inside a coconut and then walks around sort of with a coconut um, for a while. The monkey allegedly, I don't believe this is true, but I'm just going to go with it. The monkey traps itself basically because it just, it won't let go of a piece of fruit. There's a whole bunch of us um, who tr we trap ourselves with clenched fists literally wrapped around a piece of fruit. And so we hold on to our pride and our preferences, our comforts and our addictions, all of which get in the way of new life with Christ Jesus. Uh, thirdly, we can, I am coming into land, don't worry. Thirdly, we can find change difficult because, because we're comfortable. Sometimes we just get comfortable. We come to faith in Jesus and, you know, that, that radically, you know, changes our lives. And then life kind of happens and we still have our faith in Jesus, you know, but now I've got a good job and I've got a nice house and I've got to drive a nice car and go on nice holidays and our kids are in good schools and, you know, I've got a great pension. Whatever it may be, we just get comfortable. Yes, you know, we have our faith, absolutely. Uh, but truth be told, we also fit really well into the culture in which we find ourselves. Life's actually pretty good. And we just kind of get stuck. You know, we do the right thing. We go to church and we read our Bibles and we pray from time to time. We do the right stuff. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not really changing anymore. Maybe we did at some point. But maybe we just kind of settled somewhere along the way. We just got comfortable. Uh, maybe we find change difficult uh, because we're afraid. 
Um, fear of the unknown is, is like a real reason a lot of us don't like change. Some of us are afraid, you know, if we were to contemplate the Lord's glory and allow him to transform us with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus, what might us becoming more like Jesus look like? And so some of us are afraid. It's like, I know, but I, I mean, I, if I do that, if I spend too much time contemplating the Lord's glory, I might become one of those religious fanatics. What, God might turn me into someone slightly crazy, and if not a religious fanatic, just somebody slightly socially awkward. Um, we might be afraid of the fact that if we spend too long contemplating God's glory, he might have a mission for us that we may not want to embark on. What if I contemplate God's glory and then he says, and now, my son, I'd like you to go to Timbuktu or wherever that may be, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go to Timbuktu. Or heaven forfend, I spend so much time contemplating the Lord's glory that he says, I want you to give away all of your possessions to the poor. I mean, God bless the poor, but <laughs> I mean, it's a bit fanatical. Not knowing what God is going to ask of us can make some of us, uh, me 100% included, shy away from all of the change and the transformation that he has for us. Lastly, we find change difficult because change is hard. <laughs> change is seriously hard. Uh, it, it's hard to change. Even good change is painful. Uh, stepping outside of our proverbial comfort zone uh, disrupts our lives. And change might come at a cost. The reality is, whatever our resistance might be to change, we are rarely open to change until the pain of staying the same outweighs the, the risk of the pain of the change. Does that make sense? What we need to ask ourselves is, which is worse, staying where we are or getting closer to where God is inviting us to be? God's desire is to bring transformation to our lives, to each one of our lives, to the church, to our communities, to the world in which we live. And the way he wants to do this um, is in and through the power of his Holy Spirit. As we come to the cross again and again and again, and we surrender our lives again and again and again, as we look to him, as we gaze upon his beauty, as we fix our eyes upon him, on he who has begun a good work in us and he who will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're desperate, we long for, we yearn for freedom. And it is that freedom that is as for the taking. As we just contemplate the Lord's glory, that's all we have to do. We just have to contemplate the Lord's glory with every moment that we possibly can. That's why we're here. We're here to contemplate the Lord's glory, to interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of the Almighty. We're here because we want him to transform us and change us with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. We're not here because you know, this is what we're supposed to do on a Sunday. That's not what this is. We're here to fix our eyes on him. We're here to fall and surrender our lives at the foot of the cross again. We're here to contemplate his glory, that as we do so, he in his mercy might transform us and change us and mold us and shape us and make us more like him. It's all we need to do. All we need to do 
is turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the earth grow strangely dim, inconsequential, meaningless, in the light of his glory and grace. And as we spend time, as we take time to do that, he will and he does transform us into his image with ever-increasing glory. I need to stop.